Well, hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me. This is Ross Jones, your business coach, with my weekly podcast show, Bold Business Bites, coming to you from Yorkshire. This is where I have a great conversation with a phenomenal female business boss, and we share some of the bold stuff they do, lessons they've learned, adversities they've overcome, and the fun they have. And then I'll be dipping into my toolkit and sharing with you a top tip. Business can be lonely, so make sure you join us each week and be part of our show. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Roz Jones Bold Business Bites podcast show. Today I'm going to be joined by Sally Hazelwood, who is the founder and managing director of the national franchise Mumbler Limited. Hear how she started her business after a week from hell. If you can't find what you want, she says, create your own. And so her accidental business became a national franchise. And here's some of the stories along the way. The struggle she had playing David to an international Goliath who was not happy about her, the trademark she was using for her franchise. And also how the business model she has provides the flexibility for women and possibly men that the corporate world does not provide. And then I'll be giving you some top tips about how to buy a franchise if that's the model you choose to make. Thanks for listening. I'm joined now by Sally Hazelwood of Mumbler. Hi, Sally. Hey, Rose. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Tell me a bit about Mumbler and how did you set it up? So Mumbler is a hyperlocal parenting website that I set up initially in 2012 in my hometown of Harrogate. And since then, I've grown considerably from a, a one-town website to now I've got 23 franchised Mumbler websites across the UK. Now, each Mumbler website is a hyperlocal parenting website with a strong social media community. And its aim is to bring parents together and provide the information that they need to help them raise children in that area, to find out what's going on and to meet each other. Fabulous. But tell me how it started. So back in 2011, it actually started with a week from hell. I'd moved back to my hometown of Harrogate on the Monday with my toddler and my husband, a 250-mile move from the south of England. And four days later, I gave birth to my second daughter. And I needed to just get out and about. I needed to find out what was going on with my toddler. And I needed to make friends. And I needed people to reassure me that I wasn't the only one up at 3 o'clock in the morning with a baby that wouldn't sleep. So I started researching what was on in the area. And considering this was 2011, so the digital age wasn't new at that point, I couldn't believe that I couldn't find the information that I needed. So I started creating it. So I um, started with a little Facebook group with a handful of people that I knew locally who had families to share information, get to know each other a little bit, give each other support. And within a year, it had gone from four members to a thousand members. Wow. I always say that Mumbler was an accidental business because even at that stage in the game, I had no idea that this would become a thing. It was purely filling a hole that I saw myself. And Harrogate was such a success that the following year, I decided I needed to create a permanent home for the information that was being shared on this Facebook group. And so I launched the first um, Mumbler website in November 2012. Wow. And then what made you turn it into a franchise? Well, for the first few years, it filled a hole for me personally because I was starting to earn a living um, from it. And yet it gave me the flexibility to be a working parent at home. So I was around for my children. Um, Obviously, at that stage, I had a toddler and another child that was um, at preschool. 
And I needed to, for my own sanity, I needed to do something. Um, I obviously needed to earn a living, so I was uh, due to go back to work after maternity leave. So previously, this had been a chartered surveyor of all oh, things. Wow. Um, but everything changed for me with a second child. It wasn't worth it financially. My heart wasn't in it going back to surveying. And I needed to find something that I felt passionate about. It And Mumbler became that for me. And it was it was a, a huge success for me at that stage. And it, that was me with a laptop at the kitchen table during nap times so after the kids had gone to bed. I really was working completely flexibly. But then as my own children grew um, over the next couple of years and it got to the stage, it was around the time that both my children were starting primary school. I sort of dabbled with the idea of, of seeing if we could replicate what I'd done in Harrogate and other towns. And actually York was one of the first ones I did in Hull mm-hmm. through either people I was connected with, so York's actually run by my sister, um, and an ex-colleague of her is Rachel, who who ran Hull. And they were in a similar situation. They were both professional ladies from serious careers, I would say, earning well, but having had children, everything changed for them, and they were looking for something different. So I um, approached them, we had discussions, you know, did they want to have a go and see if they could replicate what I'd done in Harrogate? And fortunately, they both said yes, so Hull went live first, and then York went live. And it turns out it wasn't me that was special. It was the concept. So they, they, they've been hugely successful. And it was on the back of those that really in 2015, 16 that I started thinking, right, we can really franchise this properly. Yeah. Um, and since then I've, I've brought on more than 20 other franchises across the country. And that's the way we're going now to expand the business. Each one is run by a local parent. They're all women at the moment, but hopefully one day we might have a, a dad in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but they tend to be from professional backgrounds and they're looking for a job that they can well twofold they want something they can be passionate about something that they really care about but also they can work completely flexibly around the families and that's what Mumbler offers. Fantastic it sounds like a fabulous model that obviously is very popular as well so what do you look for when you um, recruit a, a franchisee Sally? Well, I think as with every business, it is all about the people that you bring on board. And I've made mistakes along the way. I, you know, I can admit that. Um, but I do think you learn from them. But the, the franchisees that I've got now in my business are phenomenal. And that is what makes a business. They are all passionate about what they do. They are the ultimate multitaskers. <laughs> they know what they want to achieve in terms of business planning, in terms of financials and in terms of providing something that's actually useful for their own communities they all care about where they come from and their parenting communities and they want to they really want to make a difference so what I've done over the years is I've actually got a quite firm customer avatar I call it of, yeah. of what I'm looking for in terms of franchisee having said that some of my very successful franchisees fall outside the mold so I think a lot of it comes down to gut instinct as well the things I look for but obviously you know it's meeting people and getting a feel for them yeah um, and I try and be as open as possible about Mumble. I want them to have all of the information up front so that they can then decide if it's right for them and their families. Because a lot of them are coming from a corporate environment where they've had a decent salary and making that leap into self-employment, particularly when you've got young children, it's it's, it's a big decision to make. And I want people to do it with their eyes open. Because ultimately I want success. So I want people to go into it with their eyes wide open who want to achieve. Yeah. A franchise, I guess, is built on systems. So what's the... The mix there of human and, and systems for you? Well, I always think of Mumbler as an accidental business because I didn't set up with this in mind. Um, and it has evolved over the years and it will continue to evolve and grow. And systems are probably my least favourite part of the business. Wow. And because my background, as I say, was civil service um, valuation office, I didn't come from a corporate background. I didn't come from a sales um, and marketing background. So I've had to learn a lot of it. 
But generally what I'd do, I'd never like the idea of policy for the sake of policy or process for the sake of process. However, as you grow and build a business, it comes apparent very quickly that something's not working or something can be slicker. And that's the point to bring in a system. Mm -hmm. So usually what I'll do is I'll find a problem and then I'll find a solution, create some sort of process or system to, to, to make it slicker. And then make sure you communicate it. That's the key thing. Mm. Obviously, with a business, the bigger you get, there are people that sometimes reluctant to change. However, as long as you can demonstrate why you're doing it and there's a good reason behind it, I've never yet come again, come up against anything that's insurmountable or that can't be tweaked or improved. And sometimes I get it wrong. And as with all aspects of the business, occasionally things do go wrong. But I always think, as long as you're honest with people, we're all humans. You know, on occasion when it does go wrong, I put my hands up and say, you know, I thought this would work and it didn't. Yeah. You know, we'll try something else. Be a little, be a little bit agile, as they say in the management yes. speak. You said 23 franchises mm. across the country. How do you um, communicate with them all to to let them know what's going on? Well, as with everything to do with the business, that has evolved over time. In the early days, it was just me and then me and a couple of franchisees, so we could just chat to each other whenever we want. But obviously, the bigger it's getting, the more potential there is for people to contact you all the time. So there has been a, a degree of trying to manage that. So there's a few things that I've brought in line. First of all, in the early days when a franchise comes on board, I want to be there for them all the time. That is my job to support them and make them feel comfortable and train them. However, because we've now got this massive bank of successful franchisees who have all got different skill sets because they're all from different backgrounds, it was also important to allow them to be able to communicate with each other freely um, and to support each other and to mentor each other. So we use um, something called Workplace by Facebook, which is like Facebook for business so they can talk to each other whenever they want i encourage that wholly to share successes um or to share best practice or even if you're just having a bad day and you need someone to pick you up a little bit just to encourage that team spirit but then i also do webinars about every fortnight very casual but usually on an evening so it has to work around everyone's families but where people can hop online and have a bit of face-to-face time with me and each other and then I do try and bring them together as well. I mean, it's difficult now because my franchisees are across the country. My my most southern one is down in Poole in Dorset and Gateshead is my most northern one. So we've got a real spread. But once a year, I do try and get them together in real life for a conference where we can network with each other, bring in subject matter experts. Um, and we quite often have a, a business coach that comes along to that as well to, to pep everyone up and, and head everyone off feeling yeah. ready to go and uh, ready to conquer the world yeah, yeah good and um what and the so my uh, part of my business is a, is a franchise as well i think it can be quite easy or can be quite yeah it can be quite a temptation for some people as they the longer they're in the franchise to maybe get their own ideas that maybe don't no longer fit with yours what do, what's your what's your experience of that so far, that has never been a problem. Okay. I think because I do rely on gut instinct a lot when I um, recruit people, I really want to make sure that their values align with the company values. Yeah. Now, I think there's a real fine line from the franchisor that you want to absolutely encourage individual innovation, new ideas and sharing, and then don't ever want to cut that off. But equally, if one of them did go renegade and do something completely off piece, yeah. I wouldn't like that either. But it's never happened. Yeah. You know, they all seem to be completely aligned and they've brought so many new ideas to the table. I think it really is the franchisees that are driving the business forward. Inevitably, I'm guessing there must have been some challenges and hurdles along the way. 
Is that true? Can you share some with us? And what was the outcome? How you overcame them? Yes, there definitely have been challenges along the way. And I think anybody in business will say the same thing. I think the most important thing is, is your mindset on things like that. There will be challenges. It's it's to be expected. And it's just, do you learn from them? Do you pick yourself back up and carry on and continue to grow and I hope that I've certainly learned from my uh, challenges along the way but one that certainly sticks into mind was in the very early days of franchising um, obviously it was important for me to trademark the branding so I attempted to do that and, and somebody objected to me trademarking the word mumbler I won't say who it was but it was a big corporation and they were owned by an even bigger corporation in America um, so their pockets were very deep indeed and they didn't want me to trademark the name because it, it sounded well it rhymed with another word but that obviously wasn't good enough for me because that's where the similarities began and ended and I felt so passionately about it that ultimately I decided that come what may I was going to challenge this if necessary through the courts and I had to represent myself we took legal advice obviously but in the early days of business you've got no money so we had to put our literally put our money to where our mouth was and, and fund it personally to defend the trademarks, it was so important to me. It did feel very much like a David and Goliath moment. Yeah, we won, so that was wow. great. It was, you know, there were some nerve-wracking moments along the way, and it could have, it, even if we were right and they were wrong, their pockets were infinitely yeah. deeper than us. They would have been able to go a lot further down the line than us. But wow. so definitely learnt from that. But equally, I, I do fundamentally believe if you're passionate about something and, and you believe you're right, you've got to take it as far as you possibly can. So, yeah, that was a challenge in the early days. Yeah, well done, well done for you, and, and having that courage of your convictions. In your years of, of business now, what do you think has been your biggest challenge for you personally? What's the skill you've had to learn as you've built? Well, I think going from a very small business to growing and expanding, which is where I want to go, it's learning, or it certainly was for me, was learning how to let go a little bit. When I started, I was the master of everything, running every single aspect of my business, knowing it inside out myself and doing everything myself. And I am a very hands-on person. But obviously, in terms of growth, you have to get good at shedding hats and delegating where you can and focusing on the bits that only you can do. So I sort of have a mantra now that if either it doesn't bring me joy it doesn't earn me revenue or somebody else is better at it than me, then I think you do what you do best and you delegate the rest. Mm. Yeah. I find that a lot of business owners that I work with have that challenge about actually letting go or being prepared or willing to train somebody up, taking the time to train somebody up so that they are confident that that person can do it to the same standard as you would do it. Mm-hmm. And that is a big, is a big challenge. But it's, as you say, it's the only way to go if you want to grow. Absolutely. Because you cannot physically do everything yourself. What about staffing generally? Employees, teams, team building? That's, in my experience, one of the big challenges that, uh, that business owners who want to grow um, face and find it difficult to deal with. What's your experience of that, Sally? Is there anything you'd like to share with us? Yeah, well, I think one of the key things is, and I think business society is moving this way, is that it doesn't have to be the nine-to-five anymore. And that's one of the key things about Mumbler. It's, it, I wouldn't say it's part-time because we work so hard. We probably do more hours than we did at, at our desk, but it's complete flexibility. And I think the sooner that other businesses switch on to the fact that in this day and age you should be able to be completely flexible in a lot of industries that they will get more out of their staff most of the people who work for head office in fact all of them including myself work around school hours so we do a shorter day um, during the day so we can be there for our kids and there's no shame in that at all uh, it's we can still absolutely achieve and nine times out of ten I'll be back at my keyboard after the kids have gone to bed at night and that working pattern works for me absolutely as it does 
for the other people that work with me. So I think flexibility is key, but as with all of the businesses as well, it's the quality of the staff. Mm-hmm. It's if you've got the right people in in post, your business will fly. And, and you know, on occasions I've got it wrong, and that is without doubt one of the hardest bits of running a business when when you've got to part ways with with somebody. And I think, particularly in a business like Mumble, we all work very closely together, and you get to know each other's personal circumstances and, and their family. And it, it's agonising, but as a business owner. You've got to look after the business, which means looking after the interests of everyone else who works for the company as well. And sometimes we do have to make difficult decisions. But as I say, getting the team that I've got now, the franchisees that I've got now are absolutely phenomenal. So moving forward, I'll be looking for more of the same because they're the ones who drive yeah. the business forward. How do you find them? Well, over the four years now that we've been recruiting franchisees, my um, process have evolved. Mm-hmm. I think in the early days, I was looking for people who were looking for franchises. However, as the company's grown, there's some characteristics of my successful franchisees that shine through across all of them. So what I tend to do now is actually go to industry because they tend to be professional working parents who've had a couple of children and realise that the corporate world doesn't do it for them mm-hmm. anymore. So I tend to now advertise in the industry magazines. And also word of mouth. We get an awful lot of franchisees from people who either know somebody or have lived in an area where we've, where we've had a mumbler previously um, and we hear about them that way. So that's fabulous. That means that you're actually providing the flexibility of, uh, of a working life that, as you say, the corporates are failing often to provide. So you're mm-hmm. filling a gap there for them and, and attracting some great people as a result. Yeah. So yeah. well done you for identifying that. That's uh, phenomenal. So it sounds like you work really hard for to uh, bring about your this, this dream business, Sally. What do you see that it looks like in the end? What does your business look like when it's finished? That's what I like to ask my clients. What do you see your business looking like when it's finished? I think I struggle with the idea of finished for Mumbler because it isn't. It, I still refer to it as an accidental business because there was no master plan in the early days and there still isn't a master plan. I want more of the same. I want every parent in the UK to be able to benefit from the resources that our local websites provide. So we want more franchises across the UK and then potentially internationally. But I love my job. So to me, seeing a uh, finish sees me retiring or selling, neither of which I want to do. Right. Okay. I get get it. And actually, then, if you if you think of a mumbler in every town, the possibilities are huge. Absolutely. Every town in the world gets even bigger. Phenomenal. And um, so I'm guessing uh, you use digital platforms now for your, you know, you've got websites, Facebook groups to promote uh, the towns and, and, the, and services. So how do you keep up to date? Because presumably the rate of um, change in technology is so fast these days. How do you manage to keep up to date with that? It's difficult, but it's absolutely vital to our business because we are on a digital platform. So one of the most important things that I can do as Mumbler HQ is to make sure that I am ahead of, of the game, keeping an eye on digital technology, social media platforms, what's um, popular, what's going to be popular in the future. Even in the six years that we've been running Mumbler, um, videos come from, from being fairly obscure to totally mainstream and expected now. Um, Instagram, you know, rewind six years ago, wasn't really a thing whereas now it's one of our most popular social platforms so I want to continue to be ahead of the game on that and involve I think it's important for any business to remain agile and if you see a technology even if it doesn't feel comfortable to start with have a go because ultimately we need to be wherever our customers are and our customers are parents so wherever they are we will be 
your well-being, your work-life balance, as they say. How do you how do you relax? How do you turn off from work? Or you know, tell me about that. Well, I think the first thing to say is I don't believe in work-life balance. I don't think it is a balance. I think it's a juggle. Sometimes work is on top and sometimes family life is on top and it's ever-evolving. But I'm happy with that. I make no apologies about loving my job. So there are times in my life where work does take over slightly and I have to speak to my family, my husband and my children. But, but they get it. They understand. But then also I'm in the very fortunate position that when my children are off school, so for example, school holidays or in the evenings, um, I can be there for them. I really make a conscious effort to down tools. I do most of school drop-offs and pickups myself and I work around their needs as well. But it, I think searching for this elusive work-life balance ends up turning us in circles. It's, you know, it's okay not to be perfect all the time. But one of the best things for me about being self-employed is when it really matters. So if one of your children's ill or if a family member or friend needs you, you can down tools. I think it's important that we don't take ourselves too seriously. You know, I can put an out of office on and just say, I'm not available. I will get back to you. It might not be immediately, but I will get back in touch with you soon. Um, and I think people appreciate the human touch in yeah. this day of where there are so many big corporations out there and so many big industries where people don't know if they're talking to robots. When they're speaking to me, they know I'm real. And if I make a mistake, I hold my hands up and say, you know, sorry, I'm one woman, I got it wrong. So far, I've never had a negative response for, for just being human about it. Yes. Yeah. And what about that? So I was just reading something just earlier about um, the fact that we – puts forward the idea that we are all put upper limits on ourselves because of some some fear of presumably of success or shining our light um, prevents us from from going above that limit. What do you think to that? Um, I think there definitely is fears and limitations that we can put on ourselves, but equally we can talk ourselves out of that as well. For me, I find it a fairly typical female trait of mine to hope that other people will see that I've been successful um, and other, uh, rely on other people to shout about my successes and over time I've, I've learned that do you know what you have to tell other people yeah. you, you do it and it's not bragging it's just telling people what you've done because everyone is so busy in this day and age they've got their head down doing what they need to do and sometimes you do need to tell them what you've done yeah. there's nothing wrong with that you can do it with, with humanity and humility but ultimately for me personally I don't necessarily think there are limits I do feel fearful sometimes and I think everyone does but then I put my big girl pants on and just do it anyway (laughs) love (laughs) Love it okay thank you so much Sally so for people to find out more about your business and how how to become a franchisee or, or to use your services where do they need to go so our main headquarters website is mumbler.co.uk and then if there is a mumbler town local to you it will just be the town name mumbler.co.uk fantastic and just before you go Sally one, what would your uh, just one piece of advice be to women um, thinking about leaving corporate and going and setting up their own business? What would you say? If I was to condense it, I'd say trust your instincts. If you think there's a better option out there, there probably is. In our conversation, Sally talked about the way she had started and built and developed her franchise the business it turned into her franchise. It made me wonder whether um, some of you there might be thinking about buying a franchise. So I thought I'd give you some top tips for buying a franchise. I think number one, you need to ask yourself, why are you looking at a business? Are you looking to just buy yourself a job 
be the technician, if you like, or do you have the entrepreneurial spirit that running your own business requires? If the thought of buying and running your own business paralyzes you with fear, you need to question whether it's the right option for you. Most franchisees that fail do so because they're not suited to the system, not the other way around. Many of them don't have the entrepreneurial mindset to run a business. They still have the mindset of an employee. Number two, if you could create the perfect business, what would that business be? And then start looking for franchises that match the general idea you came up with. You've got to enjoy what you'd end up doing after all. You'll find you'll be faced with a huge variety of possibilities. Choice is a good thing, but too much choice can also be bad and it can cause you to procrastinate. So make sure that it's something that you really like doing first. So there may be lots of money, for example, to be made from running a dog grooming franchise. But if you can't stand animals, it wouldn't be the right thing for you. So you could make money, but you need to be clear on what on what it is you want. And then do your due diligence. Once you've found it, do due diligence and speak to a few successful franchisees as well as some who are struggling. Ask them, why did you get into this business in the first place? What's been your greatest challenges and how did you overcome them? If you were given the chance again, would you reinvest in the business? What suggestions would you have for prospective buyers? And then ask the franchisor the same questions and see if the answers match. Try and work out what their mindsets are and compare them to yours. Don't be put off by those that are struggling if they're in the minority. But if they are the majority, you need to check out another opportunity. Make yourself a business plan. Develop a business plan and ask some of the franchisees if they think it's achievable. So all of these things are based on my own experience because I um, part of my business is a franchise. This is really important to do this stuff up front. could be the most expensive mistake you've ever made. So number five is make sure you go through the legals thoroughly. Spend money talking with a suitably qualified franchise lawyer. Understand exactly what's expected of you and what the franchisor will do for you. The contract is undoubtedly going to be in their favour. But ask the Law Society to recommend you to a lawyer who specialises in franchises. It will be cheaper if, they all, if they're already used to dealing with, the, with franchise matters. Spend the money up front. Get somebody with franchise experience. And don't be afraid to interview or shortlist some lawyers to get the, uh, the right one for you. Same with an accountant. Get a suitably qualified accountant before you take the plunge and sign for the purchase of the franchise. They'll help you to uh, structure your future business so that you get maximum tax and, ben- and financial benefit. And choose one that's got franchise experience and interview them. You need to be looking for a franchise system that meets your needs today as well as in, say, five years' time. So try and work out whether it will grow with you in time. Is it going to be viable to branch your franchise out into a business of its own, if that's what you want in the medium to longer term? Some franchises are built to develop into bigger, self-sustaining businesses, allowing you to progress to the point where you can receive a passive income, but others not so much. So check this out, just to see if the franchise fits with your longer term aspirations. Get advice from those people who know you best, so your family and friends. Ask them if they think you'll succeed and why. 
This will help you avoid all that emotional stuff that often gets in the way of making a good sound decision. Number nine, make sure you have the full support of your family, especially if this is your first business venture and it's costing a lot of money. If you're keen on a retail type business, of course, you'll probably find you won't have another weekend at home again, which can take some getting used to, especially if you're um, from the corporate world. If at all possible, see if you can arrange it so you can spend a day with a franchisee. This will give you a much better idea of what the day in the life of an average franchisee is like. It will give you a very good feel for what running the franchise will be like. And then finally, number 11. Document everything that's said outside of the agreement. Get as much as you can in writing. Franchising is all about relationships, but if you've been promised something that isn't explicitly stated in the agreement, I tell you, you could end up being very disappointed if the person who made the promise should leave. So get it all in writing. Hope that's been useful for you. Remember, the number one business rule is profit in is king. It's not about the number of people you employ or your revenue, it's about the profit. So make sure that the business that you buy is capable of making the profit that you want. And good luck. So thanks for listening to Ross Jones' Bold Business Bites podcast. If you found this interesting and you want more information, feel free to get in touch. Um, you can call me, email me, go to my website, and I look forward to hearing from you. And uh, remember to subscribe to my show. Thanks for listening. This has been your Ross Jones Bold Business Bites show. If you'd like any further information about anything we've discussed today, please just get in touch. Go to businesscoachingyorkshire.co.uk. Please join me again next week when I'll be speaking with another phenomenal female business boss with Bold Business Bites. And remember to subscribe to my show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>